Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Giles Stevens and this year we're really focusing on the year of acceleration, the year of accelerated blessings and accelerated growth. But at the same time, you always need to remember that that doesn't mean to say that there won't be problems and trouble that comes. It's just that when it comes, we can rest in the provision and the protection of the Lord. And really, like the archer with his bow, when things go against you, the Lord uses that to, in a sense, pull back the string of the bow so that you can be projected further in the future. So don't worry if you have to go through some tough moments. Uh, The evil day, as the scripture says, that's only going to project you further ahead into your future and into accelerated blessings. So tune into this latest teaching. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Overcoming when things are against you. God bless you. Today I'd like to talk to you about overcoming when things are against you. Overcoming when things are against you. And you'll remember the well-known account of Jesus walking on the water. And we read in that passage of scripture that the disciples were rowing into a wind that was against them. And that wind speaks of certain things in life. Remember that the scriptures are written and often they are symbolic to help us understand some of the challenges of our lives. And so those winds represent problems or circumstances or attacks that are coming your way. And they're headwinds that try and push us back or stop us from advancing. And today I want to speak to you about how you can be sure of victory against such negative circumstances and contrary winds no matter what you're facing and not because of your own strength or your own goodness but because Jesus is with you and Jesus is for you. Christ is ready to meet you today in the midst of your most difficult circumstances and you may think pastor I've heard faith messages like this in the past and they've not really helped me. Well my response to you is this, have you understood the miracle of multiplication? the miracle of the multiplication of bread. And Jesus shows clearly in the account of when he walks on water that actually the victory that you get uh, of, of dominating your circumstances, of walking upon things that actually come against you, is linked to the revelation of the multiplication of bread. So many people have never made that link. Because of that, I believe that they've been suffering unnecessary unnecessarily. But today I will show you that you can make it part of your own revelation and experience. And because of that, you're going you're gonna to rise up. You're going to dominate on situations perhaps where you haven't before. You're going to have victory. Amen. So let's read from Mark chapter 6 verse 45 and forward. And I'm going to kind of break it down as I go. But the first two scriptures say, that immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, in this scene, we have a picture of the new dispensation. Scripture tells us that Jesus ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us here on earth. And in this passage of Scripture, we see Jesus climbing the mountain to pray whilst his disciples were struggling through the storms of this world on the lake. And so you can see that this is symbolic of what is happening now in the heavenly realms. Christ is there interceding for us 
the ruler, the, the one who received all authority and power. We here are on earth, in a sense, in, on the lake. We here are in the storms of life. But here's the good news. He's now our high priest in heaven. Hallelujah. And just as Jesus sent his disciples away to, to cross the lake, that's what the scripture said, he made his disciples go into a boat and then he sent them away, so too he's commissioned us to cross the whole world to preach to all nations. So you can see how this all ties in perfectly in a parallel. And then in verse 47 and 48, the scripture says, Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And so once sailing, the scripture says that they were now rowing against that contrary wind. And this is a picture of the church today walking in this world. You see, the winds don't just talk of attacks in general, but also in particular, not just sort of attacks of you know, problems that we face, but particular things such as persecution. You see, the Bible says that we're not to be thrown back and forth or carried about by every wind of doctrine, according to Ephesians 4 and 14. So winds point to these erroneous doctrines, these demonic doctrines that come against us and try to knock us from our, uh, the place of grace, try to undermine our faith. And that's the real thing you have to watch out for. Because ultimately, everything is a question of belief. You see, unfortunately, this has been the story of so many people, as so many believers, as they navigate this world, what happens is these winds come and buffer them and batter them, and they get carried off in the wrong direction by such doctrines. And so today, I want to show you that actually that's not to be our case. Hallelujah. We're to keep going despite those negative things. And we're going to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come and strengthen us and overcome for us. You see, like I said, in Ephesians 4 and 14, we read about these winds that toss people to and fro. And so the winds specifically speak of doctrines, of contrary winds speaking of how they want to remove us from our foundations. And so you might think that your biggest problem today is financial or political or even relational, but actually all of those problems can be resolved if your doctrine's right. You see, wrong doctrine or teaching is the root of all of our problems. And the reason that wrong doctrine produces wrong... Uh, the reason is that wrong doctrine produces wrong belief. You see, if you believe wrong, it will, believe, it will bring wrong thoughts. And wrong thoughts bring wrong decisions and actually wrong emotions. As the book of Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So everything is a question of what you believe. And what you believe is a question of what you've been taught. And what you've been taught is a question of doctrine. See, your beliefs in the end determine the direction in your life. They determine how you react, how you, your, the emotions involved. And so we have to make sure that we're believing right. See, when you're taken by a wrong emotion, this is because some sort of negative or wrong thought has entered your mind. At times, you're not even conscious of it. But wrong emotions are barometers that signal that you're following the wrong winds of doctrine. Hallelujah. You know, I'm going to say this and say it again because God wants you to be at peace even in the storm, as you're going to see, because Jesus 
is with you. He has come to give you complete victory in every area of your life. But you see, when you're afraid or worried or anxious about something, stop and ask yourself, what was I thinking about? Stop and wonder, what thought crossed my mind to make me lose that peace? Do this and you'll see that some sort of thought entered your mind and caused an emotion, caused a reaction. Okay, And that's why we have to take into captivity our thoughts to examine them, to make sure that they're aligned with the, the message of God's grace. The fact that Jesus was obedient unto the death and because of his obedience, we now are blessed no matter our situation and no matter actually our obedience. Because the scripture says he's faithful even when we're faithless. You see, he blesses us not because of our goodness, but because of his goodness. Not because we deserve it, uh, not because we merit something, but because he has now given us unmerited or undeserved favor. That's the good news of the gospel. God blesses the undeserving. So as I mentioned, if you have a revelation of the uh, multiplication of bread, then no matter what you're going through, you're going to see that God's supply is always greater than your need. Hallelujah. You might say, well, pastor, I've got big needs right now. Okay, fine. But compared to the supply of God, they're nothing, okay? They're molehills in the presence of a mountain of supply. Hallelujah. So please understand this. It's not that we don't go through problems. It's not that trying circumstances don't come. And it's not that there isn't negativity and even persecution. But God has made a supply for every area of our life. Now, in verse 48... We read this, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And let's just remember that the fourth watch was the darkest time of night. If you remember in Israel, they divide the night into four watches. Okay, the first from 6 till 9 p.m., the second 9 till midnight, the third midnight till 3 a.m., and then the fourth watch is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And this, of course, is the darkest hour. But the darkest hour is before the dawn. Hallelujah. And so in the darkest hour, the scripture says that Jesus comes to his disciple. And I want to say this to you as well. You might be going through a really dark time right now. Things might look worse than usual. It might be everything is obscure. You can't see your way forward. It's almost like you're covered by a cloud of oppression. But I'm here to tell you, this is the time that Jesus comes into the situation and he'll bring with him the rising sun, the dawning sun, the light that will lead you forward. Hallelujah. As he did for the disciples, he also will do for you. And as the scripture says, he was walking on the sea. You see, he walked on the same problem that had threatened to dominate his disciples. Hallelujah. See, there's so many things that try and overcome us and overwhelm us. But Jesus has already walked on top of those. He's the master of those. And if he's with you, then you become the master of those circumstances as well. Jesus is walking on all the problems on your, uh, in your life. They are under his feet. And so the things that cause you to suffer are actually already dealt with by Christ. And just as he walked towards his disciples then, I know that he's walking towards you today. And maybe he's here to deal with a financial problem or a family issue or an illness that you're, uh, you're facing. But I want to tell you again, all your problems are already under his feet. Hallelujah. And then in verse 49, we read, 
and they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Hallelujah. You see, firstly, it's interesting that the disciples didn't recognize that it was Jesus. They thought it was a ghost. Now, why was this? Certainly it was dark, but we read that when they saw him, they were troubled. So they did see him, but they concluded he was a kind of spirit. And Jesus had to calm them down. He immediately talked with them and revealed himself to them. He said, be of good cheer. It's I. Don't be afraid. So the disciples weren't afraid of the wind and the waves then. They were afraid of the appearing of Christ, this incredible apparition. It overwhelmed them. It made them scared. They'd never seen Christ in this way before. And so it shocked them. And the scripture actually goes on to say that they marveled and they were greatly amazed. Here in the following verse, it says, And he went up to the boat, into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. You see, my friends, you can't put the Lord Jesus Christ in a box. His ways higher than our ways. He will do things in your life you could never have imagined. You won't recognize at times his hand working in your life. You won't realize that he's so big, so glorious, so powerful that he can shift mountains just to bless you. Bless you. He can move nations. He can move you to other nations. He can do all sorts of things just to get his blessing to you. And it will make you marvel. It'll make you amazed. It may even come as a shock to you. I want you to know his power is glorious. You may not recognize at times that he's working in your life, but get ready. He will supernaturally cause the storms of your life to stop, and sometimes in unprecedented ways. You see, then the scripture goes on to give the key to the disciples' problem. And here in verse 45, the scripture says, For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Now, this is an extraordinary addition in Scripture. Here we are talking about a storm, talking about the Lord walking on water towards the disciples in the middle of the storm, talking about him rebuking the storm coming into the boat, and it seems like everything is done and dusted, and that's the end of the story. But then the Scripture and the Holy Spirit through the Scripture makes a point of linking this fact to the situation. He goes on to say that they hadn't understood about the loaves and because of that their hearts were hardened. You see the disciples had not considered or meditated or understood the miracle of the loaves and because of that they had these hard hearts and because of their hard hearts the scripture goes on to say is the reason why they were panicking, the reason why they were fearing for their lives, the reason why they thought it was all over. You see, a hard heart ultimately is the root of the human problem. People with hard hearts tend to only think of themselves. They're hard towards others, but they're also hard towards God. They see him as the problem instead of the solution. When trouble comes, they blame God for the negative circumstances rather than seeing him as that ever-present help in time of need to make things right. Hallelujah. Uh, They misunderstand and misrepresent God because they've not understood the miracle of the loaves. That's what scripture is saying. And remember, that had only happened a few hours earlier. I was talking to somebody recently who had been through a terrible tragedy and losing her son in an accident and then her husband to uh, viruses, to a virus. 
and she blamed God. She blamed God. How could God let this happen? And so she didn't understand that actually that wasn't the fault of God, that we live in this fallen world, that there are contrary winds, demonic attacks, terrible sicknesses around. But actually, instead of blaming God, God was so present to help her to help the family, to see them through, to restore uh, now what was left of her life, hallelujah, and to bring something good out of it. I explained that to her and I just it was just wonderful to see the lights coming on and realizing that God had always been on her side. But you see, a hard heart will blame God. A hard heart will think only of itself. A hard heart will make a person a victim, feel like the world's against them. Soft heart knows uh, the truth about the miracle of the loaves. Now, I know that sounds a little bit cryptic at the moment, but I'm going to break it open to you. If you think about it, there was no need for them to be surprised to see the Lord walking on water. But the Bible says they were very surprised, amazed. Literally, a few hours before, he had fed the multitudes miraculously, okay? But even so, they were greatly amazed and marveled. They'd seen miracle power. They'd seen something that they'd never seen before. Literally, as Christ broke the bread, it kept reproducing. But even so, they, they, they couldn't link it. You see, when the scripture says that they marveled or are greatly amazed, these words can mean that they had great admiration, but they can also mean that they were confused, disorientated, dumbfounded, astonished, perplexed at this current manifestation of the Lord, the way he came to them now. Like I said, when God does his thing, we shouldn't be too surprised. Of course, we should give praise to him and know how wonderful he is, but don't be shocked and surprised. After all, we're dealing with the living God, the creator of the universe. Hallelujah. He can do all things and he will do all things and he wants to do all things in your life. So the problem isn't there. See, the problem was with the disciples, they didn't, as the scripture says, think about or understand the miracle of multiplication. Now, the event of this multiplication of loaves is closely linked and related to the miracle of walking on water. In three of the gospels, these two miracles are are told together. And so the multiplication of bread, we need to consider that to understand literally walking on circumstances or having victory in every area of your life. Hallelujah. Remember this too, that the multiplication of bread is the most mentioned miracle in scripture. It's reported in all four of the gospels. And of course, that shows us its spiritual importance. Uh, It's a way that the Holy Spirit is telling us we must understand the multiplication of bread to understand lots of other things okay there's something very significant about this miracle that you and i need to get to the bottom of and it's in some way a standard that the lord points us to so that we can then understand other things now with only five loaves and two small fish you remember the lord was able to feed more than five thousand men And the scripture makes a point of saying men. And if you remember, really, that meant that there was a lot more people than 5,000 because there's always more women than men in a crowd and there's always more children than women. So probably there was something like 15 to 20,000 people there. Hallelujah. But the shepherd of the flock, 
Okay, the good shepherd, as is mentioned in Psalm 23, who makes us to lie down in green pastures. This is the one who made the multitudes, the scripture says, to sit down on green grass and then to be fed with as much as they wanted. And the Bible goes on to say that even at the end, there were still 12 full uh, baskets of bread left over. Let's just read from uh, John chapter 5 to pick up on that story. Verse 10 says, Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus, Jesus took the loaves. And when he'd given thanks and distributed it to, to the disciples, the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Not needed, but wanted. Hallelujah. Now this shows you the grace of God in a massive and a wonderful way. God is here, yes, to meet your needs, but even more than that, to give you as much as you want. Hallelujah. You only need ask. That's the glory of Christianity. You don't need to covet the things of other people. You can go to God and ask for yourself, and he delights in giving you all the blessings of the kingdom. So here's the main principle about the feeding of the 5,000. With the Lord, there is always enough and more than enough to meet your need, no matter the difficulty that you're facing. If winds are contrary, the Lord is able to come. And if bills are piling up, piling up, the Lord will provide. If the doctor's report is negative, the Lord is a healer. There is no need that is greater than his supply. Now, like the disciples, uh, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll panic if you don't understand this. You'll fear for your life. The waves are crashing, okay? The wind is blowing, and, and the pressures of life are coming in on all sides. And so we tend to be overcome by a sensation that you're going to sink between, uh, beneath the waves. But I want you to reject that thought today. Jesus is coming to you walking on the waves. If you don't understand the multiplication of bread, then you harden your heart towards God and begin to think that he doesn't care or that he's not present. But if you do understand the multiplication of bread, you'll see that he doesn't just want to provide for you, but he wants to give you more than enough, as much as you want. And not through the hand of man, but through the hand of the Lord, supernaturally, gloriously. There was no food in that region. Uh, the disciples were saying, we haven't got enough money to pay for bread, even if there was bread available. But that doesn't limit the arm of the Lord. Hallelujah. He's with you in whatever situation. And there's more than enough. That means if there's more than enough bread to eat when you're hungry, then there's also more than enough power to still the storm that you're facing when you're crossing your lake, when you're doing your divine purpose, when you're going out to preach the gospel, or when you're doing your work. Hallelujah. God is with you. Amen. So don't let unbelief impede the miracle from happening for you. Jesus said, be of good cheer. Hallelujah. Cheer up. Why? He goes on to say, because the great I am is here. He said, it is I. And that was the same name that God revealed to Moses on Mount, on the, in the wilderness, when he went back to Pharaoh to confront Pharaoh. And remember that after God revealed to Moses that he was the great I am, Moses went on to see glorious, extraordinary miracles of provision and protection at the hand of a supernatural God. When God introduces himself to you as 
I am. I am whatever you need me to be. Hallelujah. When you trust in the I am, I am your healer, I am your provider, I am your shepherd, I am your deliverer, I am your savior. When you trust in the I am, then you'll find that his supernatural protection and provision comes your way. Hallelujah. See, God is with you and God is for you. So don't be afraid. Cheer up. God will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Rest in his goodness and his grace and you'll see things happen for you. Let's go a little bit deeper just to bring this teaching to a a crescendo. Amen. I want you to see the sequence of events here. You see, Christ was rejected, the Bible shows us, just before he multiplied the bread. And then after he multiplied the bread, he went on to walk on the water. And you can see that in the chapters of the gospel. In Matthew chapter 12, there's an account of Israel's rejection of the Lord. Then in Matthew 13, there are the parables of the kingdom. And in Matthew 14, we then have the narrative of this miraculous multiplication and onwards. So I want you to note that this miracle of feeding the 5,000 is mentioned in all four gospels, not only in the synoptic, Gospels, the one that go that go chronologically, but in all four, including the Gospel of John. Okay, and I believe that is because God wants to speak to us about the time in which we live. You see, the miracle of the Lord walking on the water is always mentioned after the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves. They're always told together. So the feeding of the five thousand and Jesus walking on the water took place after. Israel's rejection of their Messiah. Let's just think about that for a moment. This is going to really encourage you. Now, Israel rejected the Lord in three different ways. Matthew 12 reveals that, shows that the Lord presented himself as the one who was greater than Solomon. Wow, wiser, wealthier uh, than Solomon. Uh, But they rejected him at that level. So it shows, as Solomon was the greatest king of Israel, the most powerful, with the biggest kingdom, okay, the most glorious, the, the, the one that even the servants in, in his kingdom were well-dressed, so he had wisdom and authority. So he was the, the best, the greatest king on earth. So it shows that Israel was rejecting Jesus as king. In fact, Matthew 12 and verse 42 says, Jesus said, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Wow. Then in the same chapter, he refers to himself as the greatest priest. In fact, he declares himself to be greater than the temple itself. One, one fact, uh, excuse me. So, so one, the person who is greater than the, te- the temple itself is showing that they're actually greater than the priesthood. They're greater than the sacrifices offered there. Again, Matthew 12 says, Jesus said, Indeed, a greater, yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. And then afterwards, they reject him as prophet. Okay, The one that God had promised to Moses. The Lord said he would send a prophet like Moses. And this is Deuteronomy 18 and 8. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Wow. 
So here, Jesus is being rejected as the prophet. You see, this prophet came in the form of Jesus Christ, and yet the Israelite people, the people of Israel, rejected him as a prophet, as the voice of God to the nation of Israel. In fact, Jesus himself says in Matthew 12 and 41, indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. So here you can see in this chapter, uh, the Lord is showing that he was rejected in his threefold glory as king, as priest, and as prophet. Okay, that was Matthew 12. Now in Matthew 13, for the first time, the Bible says or shows us that the Lord began to speak in parables. Now he used parables not to reveal things to the people or help them understand better, but actually to hide truths from those whose hearts weren't with him. Wow. You see, the Lord Jesus didn't throw pearls to pigs. Pearls are deep truths that are reserved for people who want to know you more intimately. They are for those who are hungry to, who are hungry to walk in Christ's ways. So he reserved those pearls for those type of people, for the disciples, those who value him, those who walk with him, those who followed him. These were the ones who wanted to, he wanted to understand the meaning of his parables, but actually the parables for the others they couldn't understand. So Matthew 13 says Jesus spoke these parables, and Matthew 14 talks about the multiplication of bread. Now this points prophetically to us about the times in which we live. Now watch this. Between Christ's rejection and his death and resurrection, he provided for his people and protected them from the storms of adversity. Okay, so he was rejected here and he died and resurrected here. So in this period of time with his disciples, he provided for them and he protected them. And so too with us today, okay, throughout the world, our message is being more and more rejected. We, as a people of God, are being more and more persecuted. Why? Because we see Christ as prophet, priest, and king. We know too that he's going to be returning soon. All right. So we're being rejected. He's returning too. But what's going to happen in the meantime? God is going to provide for us and protect us from all this adversary. Hallelujah. You see, the way in which he provided for his people was through miracle multiplication. And I want to finish this teaching today prophesying that into your lives. I believe that you're about to experience a time of great multiplication. Hallelujah. You can understand that by the fact that he multiplied bread. It was a miraculous supply that was preceded by this rejection and persecution. You might be feeling pressure in your nation, wherever you are right now, but that's a sign that actually what you're going to see now is multiplication and miraculous provision. You see, when we see things from a dispensational point of view, we can say that this is the time we're living in of grace. Okay, the time of the multiplication of loaves is the time of grace of the Lord's supply for those who didn't deserve. Okay, we live in between a time between uh, Israel's rejection of the Lord and the second return of the Lord. Hallelujah. You can even see this sequence being played out in the Messianic Psalms 22, 23 and 24. 22 shows Christ suffering on the cross. In fact, many theologians think that whilst he was on the cross, Jesus was quoting Psalm 22. He said things like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And in verse 8, it says what really what the, the Pharisees said. He trusted in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. And then in verse 16, the scripture says that Jesus said, the dogs, or the psalmist said, the dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and feet. This is in Psalm 22, a thousand, a thousand years before the actual crucifixion. And likewise, in verse 18, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Exactly what happened So, so on the cross. So Psalm 22 points to that. Psalm 23, you all know, is the psalm of the good shepherd who takes care of us, who feeds us, who leads us and makes us lie down in green pastures, who spreads a table before us in the presence of our enemies. So he's saying, look, the rejection is there, but I'm going to provide for you even so in that fallen world. And then in Psalm 24, we read of the king of glory coming in through the eternal gates. Hallelujah. So Psalm 22 points to his past suffering. Psalm 23 to his present day ministry to protect and provide for us. And Psalm 24 to his return. Friend, we're living in dark days, it's true. I want to tell you, after this darkness, there'll be an unprecedented revival that we've never seen. It won't be like anything that we've experienced in the past. This time, the manifestation of God's glory will be much bigger than ever. Hallelujah. Yes, there is trouble, but that is just going to work to release more and more of God's grace and glory. The Lord's moving amongst us. He's revealing more of his grace. For those of us who are responding to that, we are understanding how we're receiving things, not based on our merit, but because of his favor. And therefore, we're becoming bolder and more filled with faith, asking God for good things because it doesn't depend upon us now. So we're asking him for great things, not because we're great, but because he's great and wants to glorify the name of his son, Jesus. See, everything depends upon our understanding of miracle supply. If you want to walk on the waters of circumstance, you must first understand this miracle. The Lord said, we we need to understand the miracle of multiplication. If not, our hearts are hardened. We won't be able to move with God. Amen. But God's word says that he doesn't just supply according to our limited resources, okay, but according to his riches in glory. Hallelujah. So the supply is going to be according to his wealth and not ours, okay? So when you see that, you'll rest in his finished work. You'll be anxious for nothing, no matter the storms that may come your way. You're going to walk upon the circumstances that before put you down and made you feel like you were going to sink and die. This time, you're going to rise up and walk the miracle life. And I believe that the Lord is taking us all into a season, not just of miraculous supply, but of miraculous multiplication. So come, come with me. Let's all lie down in the green pastures of the Lord and let's allow the Son of God to multiply bread and bring it to us to strengthen us and bless us and give us even more so that we can be a blessing to others. God bless you. Be encouraged by this word today. In Jesus' name. Well, I really hope you're inspired by that teaching. I love the word of God because its promises are for all who believe. Uh, The promises of God, the scripture says, are yes and amen. So just apply what you heard, say a big amen to it, and I'm sure God's going to provide for you and use you miraculously in so many different ways. If you want to check out more about the work we do, uh, reaching out to people who don't know the Lord Jesus, then visit our site, www.thegreatmission.org. Okay, but I look forward to seeing you again next week on the podcast. God bless you.